Welcome to the Technoid Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free. Great show today. CEO of Care Merge, Nancy Koenig, is on the show. Um, what else do we have going on? The EO Celebration of Entrepreneurship event is this week. Uh, I cannot, cannot wait uh, to share with you. I'm going to be handing out the Knight's Big Award, which I'm super excited about. Uh, the panel of people that you will will be seeing is going to be ridiculous. From Brad Keywell to Peter Rahal from RX Bar, um, a bunch of, I'm not a big foodie, but like a bunch of all of the like the famous chefs in Chicago are there. Cameo, my buddy Steve Galanis is there. Um, and I get, they picked me to, to give the big award out, which I, I, maybe they just figured by the end of the night, That'd be like the way to make sure that I didn't talk too much. I don't know. I like to think of it in a positive light, so maybe that's not why. Either way, uh, you can definitely still get your tickets if you haven't gone to the event, uh, Moonlight Studios. It will be uh, all night long on Tuesday, so check that out. Also, on the Saturday show, which if you haven't if you haven't been listening to my Saturday show, you're missing out. Uh, Vic Pascucci from Light Bank was on again. We play a little good cop, bad cop. Uh, I'm the good cop, uh, which is, I guess, dangerous. Um Companies from, from Republic, uh, equity crowdfunding companies, called in. We had two of them call in. One of them, I really, I didn't not like both of them. I liked them both, just be clear. Uh, but the one that I really, really liked is Talify. Uh, they have raised almost $230,000 so far, You know, 900% of their funding goal, about 50 days left, 1,200 uh, investors. It's an $11 million value cap. It's pretty simple. It's a platform that brings sort of certainty and automation to your workflow. So documenting anything that's repeatable uh, just makes it simpler, which we're in this world now where there's so many apps for everything uh, that now we need apps just to collect the apps and like make it's like the planet of the apps. It's nuts. Uh, but anyway, 20% discount, $11 million value cap, minimum investment, $100. Uh, the general you know, kind of rule of thumb here is uh, if you don't have the money to throw out the window of your car while driving down the highway, you probably shouldn't invest. Uh, I don't have that much money to blow out the window of my car, but I let a few hundred dollars blow out the window of my car and land in t- and uh, Talify's wallet. So you should check it out. Um, if you don't know where to go, it's republic.co slash Talify for the, for the term sheet, and you can follow us at Technori there. Also, speaking of which, follow us on Technori everywhere, uh, on Instagram, on social, wherever the case may be. The show today with the CEO of Care Emerge, Nancy Koenig, was a very, very good show for a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest reason is talking about being a CEO who steps into a company that was founded by somebody else. There are many, 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 many companies, both public and private, who take big investment bucks, begin to scale, and then the CEO founder either steps aside by choice or is forced to step aside, and how things are set up for the future are usually in flux. And CareMerge was in a good position, um, but needed sort of uh, a little bit more operational uh, accuracy, we'll call it, to, to be more metrics-driven. And Nancy, uh, you'll, as you'll learn in the show, her background is the perfect combination of tactic and tool and learning experience to do that. And so uh, if for no other reason to listen to the show, if you have elderly parents and you want to learn what to do and how to improve their, their way of life, that's a good show. But if you're a founder-to-be or a person who's looking to take over uh, as a CEO – this is a good show to learn from. So this is my conversation with the CEO of CareMerge, Nancy Koenig. All right, so this has absolutely nothing to do with, with caring or business or anything. Michael and I were having this conversation uh, on the way into the show, Michael, producer Michael, because the chair that is sitting just outside of the studio, I sat in and shattered uh, a couple Saturdays ago, and I was wondering, 
what is the level of most embarrassing things that could happen? And we were talking about like my my wife's friend actually fainted at her wedding. She locked her knees and heels, uh-huh. and that was it. And I was like, that has to be number one. The chair shatter. If you're all by yourself, it's just like self-loathing. If you're in front of people, it's got to be like top three of most embarrassing. Where do where do you, what do you think is the most like embarrassing? I, I don't even think it's public because mm-hmm. you know it happens. So you're like, mm-hmm. damn it. Like, where, where do you rank? Oh, personally? Where, yeah, what just is in my general. Experience? Oh, I don't have to be an gosh. experience. I just think we're just weighing in on the, t- on the subject. Oh, like, no. You know, I, <laughs> I'm afraid I, I can, of everything. I can trip and fall. Oh, yeah, you know, I, And so I'm always really careful. If I'm speaking and going on stage, you know, I'm a handrail grabber because I'll take a nosedive. Because I won't be think, you know, thinking yeah. about what I'm doing. I'm looking, you know, elsewhere. I wasn't. I do that all the time, and so I wasn't thinking that. about it. The, oh, the yeah. fall up the stage thing is <laughs> that's an absolute life. Like for me, that's a life. Like that's a an Usually, occupational hazard. When I, I had this experience in New York once, you know, you know, when you're window gazing, you're you're walking in neighborhoods, and you're like, oh, that's a nice house. Or texting. I love, I love that sofa they have, or whatever it is, and I've tripped and fallen flat on my face. So, so the the fall in, fall in the street is there. <laughs> what do you think would like? It doesn't have to be something you've done. Like, what do you think mm-hmm. is? Where do you rank like top three? My top three public embarrassments. I I think the wedding one has got to be up number one just because of the stakes. Sure. The stage fall up the steps or down the steps is like right in there. Yeah. Forgetting pe- if I've forgotten someone's name, you know that's uh, you know I'm always on watch about that but I, I did it on a conference call this morning so you know that's pretty uh common my most embarrassing moment actually comes from my childhood all so. right here we go <laughs> are you sharing this is this shareable it doesn't have to be uh so i no i'll let's not share it publicly but i'll tell you what it is all right so i'm, I'm going to trade you uh a good solution for one of the most embarrassing things we're okay. off the rails so we might as well stay off yeah, the rails why not um you mentioned that forgetting people's name yeah. And I, I think as whether it's me, whether it's a CEO mm-hmm. or it's like as part of your job as a CEO to, to be, you know, kiss babies and to be, you know, mm-hmm. glad hand everybody. Um, it is the worst. Yeah. And if you're in my situation where I meet a lot of people through the show as well as through business, I, I'm like really good with faces, but names, it just escapes me. I can me. do that too. I can conjure the face and forget the name. So I, I had a guy on the show, um, this is a couple, maybe a month, I don't remember, a month or two ago, and, and th- this came up for whatever reason. And he had the most brilliant solution to this. He said, when you see somebody, you go, oh my God, I, I forgot your name. I, uh, you know, what, which, what is your name again? And they go, you know, John. Mm-hmm. And like, no, 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 your last name. <laughs> And they forget what happened, and you're like, they remembered me. Of course, it's okay right. if they forget your last uh-huh. name. The first name is the one that matters. Mm-hmm. And it has been like, that's my move. So whenever really? I see people in the street, and they're like, oh, Scott, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I forget your... And they're like, I'm Sam. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 fool, your last name. <laughs> and then they, and then you got it. And it's, I'm telling you, that's Okay, the if move. all of your listeners know this now, and I start using it, I'm totally going to be called out. I mean, I but think I lo- that's I love awesome, the strategy. though, right? Like, I love so the they, strategy. So what they call you out, that means you cared that much about their name <laughs> that you had like a strategy in place. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're, we're moving this immediately into the, the business side. It's because strategy is a good key sure. word here. Yep. You took over uh, October 2017, correct? As CEO? Correct. Correct. And I, yep. I think it's, I want, so the things I want to cover here, I want to learn about Care Merge. I want to yep. learn what's going on and where it's going. Mm-hmm. I also want to learn about you and just your, your past and your history. I think it's, sure. it's compelling. Yep. But there's a piece right up front that I think is valuable to anyone listening, and that is when you take over a company. We talked to uh, Raise.com's newest, new-ish CEO, Jay Klomnizer, on mm-hmm. the show, and 
we got a very similar kind of situation where it was like great company, lots of opportunities, tried to get into a ton of things. Mm-hmm. CEO felt like maybe he had reached too far and yeah. needed to be reined in, but it wasn't his position. And let's just say the board maybe didn't agree that it was his position to rein it in. So they bring in a new CEO. It was like, we're going to assess immediately mm-hmm. things we're going to kill yeah. and things we're going to invest in mm-hmm. and kind of return the ship, but not turn it so fast that people fall over. Mm-hmm. What was that situation like for you guys as you come in as, and it doesn't have to be about camera, just as a CEO coming into a business that is doing this, but we need to, like, focus in. What is that like? Well, so first of all, um, Care Merge is a Chicago-based company. So uh, Chicago-based founder, Asif Khan, uh, and his co-founder, Fahad Aziz. Uh, So I want to plug that because we don't hear enough Chicago-based stories, I think, generally. So we do on this show, but right in this show, absolutely. But in our in our you know everyday social media, and I I think it's important that we support uh, Chicago founders. So I want really want to applaud those guys for what they did uh, in terms of founding Care Merge. Um, I came into Care Merge when we had sort of found our product areas. And there was a need to operationalize and scale. And so uh, when I took over uh, the reins from Asif, we had a great transition. And I can say that because uh, in former lives, I've seen a lot of M&A and acquired a lot of companies. And it's a delicate process for a founder who've poured their heart and soul into a company uh, to hand over the reins. It's difficult. It's emotional. Um, and so we had a great transition. And so when I came into CareMerge, uh, it was really around settling into some operational rigor around everything, yeah. for a way, the way we develop products, the way we sell our products, the way we market our products, and really driving into a more repeatable process so we get a repeatable outcome. That's what I experienced coming into CareMerge. So it wasn't a dramatic, we're not going to do this anymore. It was really, we're going to do this better, yeah. and we're going to execute like hell. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, and it's 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 timely because you're seeing right now. I think 2019 will go down as the year the CEO disappeared. Right, mm-hmm. now, all the different people who've left for various reasons. We won't get into other Chicago yep. CEOs recently. Right. right. Um, the thing that I have found is unique, especially in the early growth stage world that I live in, is the founder CEO. There's like two battles here. Mm-hmm. There's the board battle. Of what's going to happen to the founder? Are they staying in the board? Are they not? Are they are they a willing participant of this? Do they think it's the next step to grow, or are they yeah. kind of ousting? And there's a co the the co CEO try to like let's balance ego play, mm-hmm. which usually doesn't work so well. Uh, but then there's sort of this um, how's the best way to put this? So founders have the blueprint in their head. Yeah, the really 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 exceptional founders have a, a way to put those principles on paper. Mm-hmm. But even that, the glue that binds it is in their head. Yeah, and so they run into a position where they can't scale the business at uh, and I, scale it at scale. They can't mm-hmm. scale it in multiple markets and scale the business because their their line of sight is just not there. And mm-hmm. you can't have that line of sight because all the people that they have hired, no matter how smart or talented they are, they can't get inside my head. Right. And so yeah. I I can't do anything. And then they you hire a new CEO, and and I, I think a lot of times the companies focus on transition of power mm-hmm. and not on making something repeatable mm-hmm. and the, the very successful companies as you're describing for care merge the very successful companies are the ones that go okay like mm-hmm. i can't do what i can't see so like let's carve that out mm-hmm. and like let's put these things in buckets and organize it in a way where i know how to pull levers 
and then you can be a CEO. And then now all of a sudden you have a, a founder's idea that is now a business that is kind of shareholder driven, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I totally agree with that, that, um, you know, founders have unique gifts, creativity, vision, and the ability to communicate that vision in a compelling way, which also makes them great at sales. Yeah. Individual salespeople. But when you, sell, um, when you scale a company, you, don't, you need an army of salespeople. Yep. And that's generally the transition point, I think, or at least has been my experience in transitioning founders to operators, is how do I get a repeatable process around sales? Because from a founder's mindset, sales is easy. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I go in there, I bear my tell soul, my I tell them why I did this, I tell them my vision and what, I, what value I'm going to deliver. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. And so you need to build a repeatable process around sales. And I think, and, and that's what was the care merge experience. I think the, uh, the legend in the space for this is Mark Benioff at Salesforce. Absolutely. I mean, he, every, I listen to every single podcast book, whatever he does, mm-hmm. because I, and obviously it's Salesforce, right? It's a CRM. So it's sure. kind of an obvious thing that he would yeah. be good at this. But it was like, I built a product and I got the first 80% of our business. And then I hired a team to analyze my 80% of sales to understand like how I closed it. Mm-hmm. And then that meant that we'd need salespeople who could understand the product as well as I understood the product. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's not for every business. I mean, some mm-hmm. businesses require, you know, empathy. They require that you know your product or your people, whatever the case. Yeah. Uh, but I, I agree with you 100% that the, if you don't start with understanding your sales mechanism, mm-hmm. you really don't have, I mean, as a CEO, I... I would recommend for anyone listening who has just become a CEO or is going to be that you start there yeah. because there's no control over you being a CEO for very long if you can't control revenue. Absolutely. And, and B2B selling yeah. is highly complex and multiple stakeholders. And, um, and, and where we've gotten to the point, we're trying to measure everything. You know, what's our conversion rate? So we know what our pipeline needs to be. Um, making sure we understand who all the stakeholders are and where they sit in the decision-making process. Are they for us, against us, are they neutral? And I think that that, there's a discipline and a rigor that B2B sales isn't magic anymore, and you're not going to just um, uh, garner sales on your personality. Oh, for sure. Those days are gone. And so you need to be highly intuitive, really strategic, and detail-oriented, which... It, traditionally, when you were hiring salespeople, those weren't detail oriented. Was not something that was you know high on your filter, but it's got to be there. We've had a bunch of sales extraordinaires on the show, um, and we we debate all the time the art versus science component mm-hmm. of that. And I I think that this is a kind of a larger topic, but the CEO as a as an operational position, I think, is also one of those art science mm-hmm. mixtures, unlike yeah. really anything else. Because in this stage of the business, and and this is the case really forever. It's just maybe more impactful at the series A to E pre IPO mm-hmm. uh, because you're always out looking for raising capital or at least strategic partners that essentially sure. are capital. Yeah. So you're wearing so many hats mm-hmm. and there is this science to the operations of the business, but then there's this art to the power struggle and control and the mechanisms and culture in your business. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance, especially you, because you came on in, in 17 as a, kind of a you weren't the founder, but the company was still right. sort of a startup-y type company. Yeah. How do you balance, we are going to institute a scientific approach to understanding our numbers, mm-hmm. but we are still going to be care merge. We're still going to be the people that care about our customers and, and understand each other and listen and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, we, we picked sort of operational lines to start yep. that with. 
And so we started to become very metrics-driven in our selling process because we needed to find a process that worked and was repeatable and we had known outcomes for. We're not there yet, but we're a lot better than we were. And so we started being metrics-driven there. And I almost think if you can prove metrics-driven processes and sales – then the rest of the organization can come along for the ride. I mean, it's I to totally be easier in places like client success. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, the way I've always led anyway was I'm not going to ask someone to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So leadership by example is my go-to. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I think that's how we started at CareMerge. I, I would agree with you. I, th- I think that if you can establish the metrics on sales, mm-hmm. it turns the business into really a, a, an ever-growing equation. Yeah. So it's like, this is the conversion number. Okay, how many people do we have to reach out to? To mm-hmm. If that's your conversion, to get to this many people, it's how many more people do we reach out to? Yeah. Once you sell them, how much you know cross-selling can be done? What's the percentage of closing? How mm-hmm. much does it cost to deliver the product? All this, you know, how do we retain? What does it cost? How many people? It, yeah. it just becomes much easier to manage. And, and I think... If I was to, to circle or highlight anything in this conversation for people who are listening, I, th- I think this is it. When you look at from a founder, and, and founders could do a better job of this too. Yeah, They can get, a, you know, if you're into coaching, you can get a coach. Whatever the deal. I think founders need to spend a little bit more time about f- spending time figuring out what metrics they think are important and spend the seed to A, B round figuring that out, improving it because – whether you're the CEO forever or not really doesn't matter. I think the founders that we talk to, and, and I love most of them, but the founders that I talked to in Chicago versus San Francisco and, and New York is a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, they sometimes forget that the investor component of this, that you, the minute you take money, you now work for somebody. Right. And the minute that they take multiple investors and shareholders, this is not about you anymore it's not your company yeah you know like it was when you started it's your in, idea in a two-room office it's your idea yeah. yep but it's not your company now and that your job is to sure live out your dream and fulfill your idea not mm-hmm. gonna you'll never be able to take that out and it wouldn't want to but you do have to recognize that it is your job to leave this in a better place mm-hmm. this has to be something that someone else can jump in for you when you get by a bus hopefully you don't but if that mm-hmm. happens right and if you don't it's, you know, and I, I really, I get a little discouraged and angry sometimes when I have founders that come in, especially early and they're like, here's this thing. And like, oh, like you just took a lot of money from someone and like literally that could end tomorrow. And uh. yeah, you know, it's a, I, I'm, I'm not a founder. I don't have the founder's gifts, but it's a, it is a tough, it's a, it's a tough role to serve well yeah because in order to do what you do, you have to be able to f- look risk in the face and say, I'm going to beat you anyway. And you need a certain amount of ego to take on the challenges that you do. Otherwise, nothing new would ever get invented. Oh, for sure. Right? So that, that ego, that confidence comes with the role and sourcing it for good. Uh, I think is important. And then when you're trying to scale the business, you've got to abandon part of your, you know, innate personality, that ego, that confidence that gives you the power to take on problems no one's ever taken on before and now hand over responsibility to other people. It's it's tough to make that transition. It is. It's really difficult. Very. And that's just the ego part. And I have great respect for it because, you know, these people who have invented things in our culture, in our business, in our lives, you know, they saw a challenge. They said, I don't care. I'm going to tackle that mountain. That's a gift. Oh, I I totally agree. So you guys are tackling, I think, 
amount we've had a handful of of people in the show whether we talked about before the the show with calderos or mm-hmm. with uh, kaizen health yeah. um village md recently we've had a whole bunch of companies in the space that are in their own way trying to tackle the solutions around senior living yes yeah and i i just think it's a i mean my parents are 60 whatever i won't say their age because one, <laughs> one of the two of them will care yeah uh, 29 and 67 sure um so they you know they and then their parents and my my grandmother and like all they, they're it's a difficult thing mm-hmm. because back in the old and olden times, we would take care of our, our mm-hmm. family and it was nothing. Yeah. Now we're all spread all over the world and we're living fast paced lives and there's mm-hmm. solutions, but the, the medical and the insurance hasn't caught up mm-hmm. and you guys stand in a position to make it easier for everybody. And so I'd, I'd love you to talk about care merge and, and its, its mission, what it does, yep. how it impacts that market. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, before I joined care merge, I'd taken a little bit of time off and I had decided in order for me to go back and pour my heart into something, it really had to be something where I felt I could make a mark. Yep. And um, one of the, the capabilities of CareMerge that attracted me to the company was um, family engagement. So how do we keep family members, whether it's siblings or nieces and nephews or children, grandchildren, involved in this aging process and feeling a positive about the aging experience was something that spoke to me. You're going to share how we do that, right? Yeah, how do I stay absolutely. positive about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, what we're doing in the senior living market is we're uh, delivering wellness solutions for uh, seniors who are still vibrant and active. How, how do we help them stay that way? Uh, and live out all the dimensions of wellness fully. Uh, And then once um, uh, chronic conditions or experiences, they start to experience failing in their health, how do we help caregivers serve them appropriately and bring all of that ecosystem together around that aging uh, older adult uh, so they can contribute? Because it does take a village to move through the aging experience. It's funny. You, so you mentioned uh, before the show, we mm-hmm. were talking in the green room about this, and you mentioned something that stood out to me, and I kind of circled it for this conversation, is having people who, while they're still vibrant and, and running mm-hmm. and gunning and it's all good, yeah. finding a place to live and then not having to be uprooted from that home when they, they or their partner starts to see failing health, yeah. to me... The, the two things that stand out the most for senior living, and there's a million things, but the two sure. that to me have the biggest psychological impact is the last mile transportation. Mm-hmm. Just simply like feeling like a burden on your family all yep. the time. And so you're like, I'll just skip it. And you live like seven years less because you just skipped it. Right. Which is, happens all the time. And the other one that might be the biggest of all time is as you get older, I already feel this. I'm only 35. <laughs> I get older. My my walls start to close a little. My like open minded to everything sure. starts to like narrow. Yeah. And then I start to get afraid of change. Yeah. And then I start to get freaked out about changing my routine. And we are taking the people other than a baby, the people who are the most likely to be have severe problems as a mm-hmm. result of being uprooted. And we're just moving them to a new place and saying, yeah. oh, that's you need this facility. Yeah, any any situation where you have any signs of dementia, and right? I, I you and can, it's you can accelerate. And I don't time. think I have dementia yet, but like, it's like there. It, it's not. It doesn't even have to be that. It's just mm-hmm. you have a routine, and it makes you feel safe. It's why people work until they're a hundred because they don't want to keel over the next day. Yes. When right. we take the the way that everything is designed, and, and you'll get into the the platform component mm-hmm. of this, the way things are laid out for most people right now, 
there just aren't options. My grandmother's 91 or whatever, and like the family doesn't want to bring someone into the house because mm-hmm. of that, but then you don't want to have her leave because that would be a problem. There's no solution. Yeah. And we need someone with a solution. Yes. So in the, the senior living market, um, operators, providers there are working on um, the new image of senior living. And the new image, the old image is nursing home. The new image is active communities for older adults who can uh, simplify their lives, um, move into uh, uh, houses or apartments or condos that have less maintenance, less care, and spend their free time really enjoying their time, enjoying their, their family, enjoying their, their friends. And so these, there's a category of life plan communities or continuing care retirement communities where you can move in when you're still active and enjoy life. And then as your needs change, the community is there to help yep. provide the support services you need. Yeah. Uh, and they generally have very active, vibrant, independent living organizations. They have assisted living if you're in need of mobility help or vision uh, impaired. And they'll also have memory care units if, God forbid, you or your partner um, has dementia or, or Alzheimer's, all within the same campus. And so you may move in, you may move in because your friends are there, or you may move in and create a new whole co- cohort of friends, and then not have to transition as your needs change. Yeah. And so those are sort of all encompassing. And where we serve those is we help those independent residents um, engage in the act, in the community, find their new cohort of friends who have the similar interests. Uh, so create new groups of friends, uh, engage in the fit, fitness requirements or mental health requirements or serve their spiritual emotional needs. So we help them serve all of their dimensions of wellness and maintain that independence as long as possible, maintain that wellness. So our wellness solutions help them do that, helps the staff deliver the programming to the residents so they can maintain their wellness. And then as needs change and there is the need for assistance, um, we provide a clinical solution that helps staff deliver meds, administer help and support, and share all of that information with family members who may live near or may live across the country and keep the family members involved in the process. This is so far that's what our platform This does. is far different from from my my vision of getting older, which is like the Seinfeld episode where they've got the mentors that come in and they're hanging out with the guy and they lose the, how do you lose my dad? And like <laughs> crushed his, his teeth yeah. in the garbage disposal. This is far better. Oh no. These, you know, these communities have invested in the facilities. Oh, to, it's big business. Yeah. And to, um, promote wellness and physical strength and, um, uh, dining options, restaurants, bars, so, pubs, funny you clubs, say that. all over. Yeah, there's a, a big. I'm sure you're aware of this. There's a there's a, a gigantic, um, call it a resort community that mm-hmm. is popped up in Barrington. Uh huh. And they actually talking about food. People are like, oh, you know, it sounds terrible. They hired the sous chef from Gibson's Italia. Mm-hmm. So the the chef at this I believe at this it. community center. Is the Gibson's Italia sous chef? Yeah, I just happen to go to the same barbarism. I don't know how that that worked out. You know, but. in in our platform, residents use our platform to understand what's going on in the community, announcements, events. You know, sign up for um, uh, classes, etc. The most popular pages that residents use, either you know, on their computer or their iPhone, yep. 
are the dining pages. Oh, I'm sure. What's the menu? What's the special? Who's the new chef? It's How like living on a cruise ship. Oh, it is. It is. Hopefully and, a Disney You know, isn't that ship. what life is supposed to be like at that point? Depends on if you like cruises. But yeah, old people <laughs> tend to like cruises. So I don't yeah. know. Maybe this is the thing. I'm yeah. not ageist. I'm just being funny. <laughs> uh, you have to say that these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to ask you the same question uh, that I asked all of your healthcare peers. Sure. Uh, your background. Tell yeah. me about your background that leads you to this because- there are, and speaking broadly about tech, there are a million, whether it's fintech, insure tech, there's a million mm-hmm. techs. In most of them, it is advantageous to not come from that back background because mm-hmm. you're looking at it with just a clean look like this is irrational. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Healthcare, not so much. Mm-hmm. There is a need, a very big need to understand the lingo and all of the complications. Yeah. What's your background that, that like sets you up so that you could step into this role and be like, I got it? Well, my, my background is technology. I started my career at Motorola uh, and then uh, left Motorola to a smarter, smaller company, yeah. uh, never turned back. I like the small uh, environment uh, in B2B e-commerce. Um, I moved into healthcare in 2007 okay. when I became the president. So it was a decade of time in yeah, this prior yeah. to this. And um, I, I have an appreciation for the clinical chops that you need to have in the organization. Yeah. So I have to, like all good leaders, I have to f- surround myself. That's the same thing that was circled for all of them. Tim, uh, Tim Berry from, from Village MD, that was the yeah. first thing he was like, if I didn't spend five years living the clinical life and breathing it, mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly empathize with either side of this coin. Yeah, absolutely. So surround myself with people who understand um, the clinical implications of what we do. Absolutely. And that's, that's how I do it. Now, for a portion of our solution that we bring to market, knowledge of mobile apps and new outlets like voice-enabled solutions, you know, that's How huge important. is that for senior care? Oh, you my know, God. You know, it's becoming incredibly popular. It's, it's taken us, I think, a little time to get it right, to oh, be honest. Well, you can't understand half the words sometimes, and Alexa's yeah. getting better. My, my parents never used it. Now they're in it, like, yep. full bore. It just took a while. Yeah. But. You know, the special use cases that we see. So, so we um, uh, developed a relationship with Alexa. Uh, earlier this year. And so we've gone to market in a couple of our communities uh, with voice enabled as an as a, a medium to get into our solution. So um, asking Alexa what's on the dining menu rather than opening up my yep. smartphone is um, some of the use cases we see. But what makes it really special in serving older adults is you have people who may have dexterity challenges, arthritis, or uh, low vision, macular degeneration. And so uh, we just uh, finished up a business case of a client of ours in Michigan. And one of the strongest adopters was a gentleman who had macular degeneration and low vision. And um, he has said that this has helped him maintain his independence, actually improve his independence, because he can get access to community information through Alexa. Yep. So that's the really some of the really special use cases that you see in voice enabled smart speakers and technology in the space. I think that you guys have a, a very, very bright future with what I hear with this just because the tech component of this, I, I don't think there are enough people who understand just how I know it's we like gloss over this a lot about yeah. tech because we're so ingrained in it. Sure. The number of CM, like CMO at this point to me is basically like a CTO with like some swagger. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I mean, think you're right. Yeah. Like it's it we we live in a world where you know 
you're in a, in a unique position because not only do you have to be on the cutting edge of technology for use case, mm-hmm. but also how to digest it and feed it back to people who are the furthest from the sun on tech. Yeah, make it fit our users. Yeah. So everything from UI design oh, yeah. to voice, how, how do you deliver responses and queue up the in- interaction is voice tech voice technology design is a whole new category that's emerging emerging so anybody who has any type of any children going into who thinks they ha- have a future in design i would encourage them to Embrace look into it. voice uni- interface design yeah, yeah. I, I totally it's agree it's going to be a big category i uh, will close on this i i actually had a chance to talk to the the siri founder uh last week and he was we were talking about just this about the uh the the we we are building things that are designed like this. So like there's a touch screen in front of me, yep. touch screen in my car. How I engage this is whatever it tells me to do is how I engage it. Audio is uniquely different mm-hmm. because there is no visual interface. Mm-hmm. So when you're designing audio interfaces, the audio interface has to be intuitive to the user in a way that you like physical is not because the physical is like you're used to an iPhone. You're used to this mm-hmm. audio, how you perceive something or how you would, visually store or audio store things in your head and what would be your next move are going to be different for you than they will be for me it it's, almost takes it to a third dimension it, it is it's the it's the word he used it really you're like it's you're in a spot where the future people have to have empathy like you've never we've never even seen yet mm-hmm. which is yeah. super fascinating i am a staunch believer that when i evaluate the ceos and the people that we look at invest in and whatever um the right person has the right makeup to do this job Mm-hmm. You are a person who I think totally is like the perfect oh, well, spin you. makeup. Well, I, I don't have I'm, my opinions <laughs> valueless unless your shareholders, board members, uh, obviously know they hired you. But there, you have a unique background that I think uh, is unique to fit this. So I hope you guys have a ton of success. Thank you so uh, much. Where do people go to learn more about it or follow you or any of that stuff? Uh, we are LinkedIn profile, very active in uh, B2B uh, for family members who are interested in what we do. Uh, Facebook is a great ba- way to find us, uh, CareMerge and www.caremerge.com. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Of course. If you enjoyed this episode, check out my conversation with Tim Barry from Village MD. All you got to do is find Technori on Spotify or Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. That's a good place to go. To invest in featured startups or apply to pitch on the Startup Showcase live on WGN Radio on Saturdays from 1 to 2 p.m., go to technori.com. Boom. That's a wrap.